September 2nd. Cold and cloudy. The mountains have snow on them. We started and came over very good roads and went through a town called Provo. We stopped in town while Frank tried to get me a pasteboard, but they have none. We are camped in a bottom on the east of Utah Lake. We are in sight of it, and it is seven miles across. The people say they hauled wood across it last winter on the ice. Sunday, September 3rd. A very pleasant day. We will stay here until Monday. Frank is better, and I am not able to get out of the wagon. September 4th. The men are trading, or trying to trade their cattle for horses. Mr. Kirkland traded his cattle for horses after dinner. We started and came 12 miles over very rough roads. We came through a town called Springville and passed several houses on the road. Just before we camped, nine Indians passed us going to the mountains. We are camped by a big field where there is no water. The cattle were taken three miles to grass. September 5th. We started out again with the roads rough and rocky. We came through a town called Salem. Mr. Kerfoot had to leave one of his horses on the roadside to die. We are camped tonight at a ranch, and there are several teams camped here. Frank bought some milk at 50 cents a gallon. They have their churn in the spring house to go buy water. During these four days, the Shacklefords were in the territory of the Ute. I'm Jen Glavius, and this is the Halanaki Deep Dive, a podcast about the process of mapping and analysis for historical and archaeological research using open source tools. In this episode, I'll discuss the trails used to travel to the West Coast and who actually discovered those trails. Then I'll talk a little bit about how I'm adding indigenous territories to my maps. Let's dive in. So I've talked about it before, but the Oregon Trail, even though it's often depicted as a single route, in reality, there were many variations and choices that travelers had to make. The starting point varied through time um, from Independence of Missouri uh, to Plattsmouth or Omaha, Nebraska. And there were variations based on where the travelers were, what their final destination was, where were they going to. Uh, another variation was the Mormon Trail that varied slightly Um to avoid landowners. So most of the Oregon Trail, or the trails that went by the Platte River, um, took the south side of the Platte River until in what's now western Nebraska. But the Mormon Trail was mostly along the north side of the Platte River, avoiding uh, other landowners on the south side. And all sorts of trails were had variations. So um, the National Park Service of the U.S. government has different shapefiles. They have this great online map viewer that I'll put a link to in the show notes that shows you all sorts of different trails, including the Trail of Tears in the eastern part of the U.S., and all sorts of variations of trails that were part of the routes that the Shacklefords could have chosen from. They don't include all of the variations, and you'll see the cover image for this episode. I downloaded the shapefiles from the National Park Service and added them into a map. And I'll put a link to the location on the internet where you can download the National Park Service's data, their shapefiles. And then, so those various trails are depicted in different colors. 
And then the black dotted line is the basic route that the Shackelfords took from Missouri. And you can see that it follows mostly the the Oregon-California Trail, but takes a slight variation from what the National Park Service has when it reaches after Julesburg, so west of Julesburg in Colorado, and takes a more southern route through Wyoming. And I need to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's where they went. Some of the California trails, because the Shacklefords were going to California, some of those trails headed west, north of the Great Salt Lake, in other places, there were various trails, including the trail that the uh, Donner Party took in 1846, the Hastings Cutoff, which was new and was not ready for wagon travel and slowed them down to the point where they reached the Sierra Nevada mountains late and then got stuck because there was an early snowfall. So there are many, many different choices that the Shacklefords, especially by 1865, so that's about 20 years of wagon travel from around Missouri to Oregon and California. And so there were many different choices. What you can see from the map and from these four entries is that the the Shacklefords were not taking the route, um, any of the usual California trail routes. Instead, they headed south um, after Salt Lake City, and they were heading down to pick up what was um, known as the Mormon Road or the Southern Route of the California Trail, and it was also known as the Los Angeles Salt Lake Road. This was a route that followed older trails um, and went from Utah across Nevada near where Las Vegas is now, and then into across Eastern California, across the Mojave, which was a difficult crossing, and then into... Uh, San Bernardino, and then if they wanted to, into Los Angeles. So I don't know why the Shackelford's party decided on this route. Ruth Shackelford doesn't discuss choice of route at all, at least not to this, in with respect to the the route at this point. So one of the possibilities might have been the lateness of the season. So they reached Salt Lake City in like late August, early September. So these entries are from September. And so they were perhaps worried about snow in the Sierra Nevada. So it might be that time of year was the lateness of the season was the reason why they took this more southern route. I'm not sure, but perhaps I'll find more information or more context. Maybe there were other reasons that guided their choice into this route. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about how these trails came to be and how we talk about these trails and their quote-unquote discovery. So I'm going to quote from Wikipedia, which understand that I use Wikipedia, like many other people do, as like a first thing. If you do a Google search on any topic, sometimes the easiest thing is, or sometimes the most comprehensive place is the Wikipedia article, which is not always the case. And it's always good practice to look at the references and follow up on the references as much as you can. But that's not always possible. It's easier to do when they're referencing other websites. But even then, it's hard to see it. Sometimes other websites don't provide references for their material. Especially right now when it isn't necessarily easy to access library materials. It's 
difficult to do certain types of research right now and to be diligent about it. So that's why I'm talking about Wikipedia. Also, because it's a place many people use Wikipedia as a resource. So it's important to understand the language and the way that Wikipedia articles are often written. So with that in mind, um, I just want to talk a little bit first about the, the Oregon Trail Wikipedia article. And in this article, they have a history section which describes the Lewis and Clark expedition. They talk about fur traders, and then they talk about U.S. government expeditions by Bonneville and Fremont, and as well as missionaries. Now, in this history section, here's a sentence that jumped out at me, and I quote, Besides discovering and naming many of the rivers and mountains in the intermontane West and Pacific Northwest, they, meaning fur trappers, often kept diaries of their travels and were available as guides and consultants when the trail started to become open for general travel, end of quote. Now, this sentence in particular and this entire Wikipedia article in general completely disregards the presence of indigenous peoples and their pre-existing trails and use of the land. That part about how fur trappers discovered and named rivers and mountains, um, that part especially, these places were known by indigenous peoples. And there needs to be a mention, at least a mention of that, if not more work, just rewriting this article because it makes it seem like fur trappers, white people, like explored a pristine land where other peoples, indigenous peoples, hadn't been living, which is completely untrue. So I want you to think about that a little bit. So that's the Oregon Trail Wikipedia article. Um, the the route that the that the Shackelfords took, the southern route of California Trail, so it's Wikipedia article, and I'm, I'll link all of these Wikipedia articles in the show notes as well. So the southern route of the California Trail um, has a sentence that it was a seasonal wagon road first pioneered by a Mormon party from Salt Lake City, Utah, led by Jefferson Hunt that followed the route of Spanish explorers and the old Spanish trail across southwestern Utah, northwestern Arizona, southern Nevada, and the Mojave Desert of California to Los Angeles by 1847, end of quote. So again, there's no attribution to indigenous trails or route, but they do link to their article on the old Spanish trail. And again, I'll put a link to this article in the show note. And the intro of this, of the old Spanish trail Wikipedia article says that it was, quote, explored in part by Spanish explorers as early as the late 16th century. It goes on from there, end of quote. But where this article is better than the other two is that in the first sentence of the history section, it goes, quote, the trail, so the old Spanish trail, is a combination of a network of trails first established by indigenous people and later utilized by Spanish explorers, trappers, and traders with the Ute and other Indian tribes. Now, this is much, much better. It still could, it could be better, but at least... Um, the trails established by indigenous peoples are mentioned. Know that Wikipedia has different projects to actually expand the number of articles about indigenous peoples and customs and things like that. So there's a project in the works, and I'll put a link to that, to actually improve Wikipedia. 
But there also needs to be work going through just regular articles, like the one, especially the Oregon Trail and the the Southern Route of the California Trail. And they need to do more than just link to articles that actually mention Indigenous peoples. They need to mention Indigenous peoples themselves. So think about that. And just as a as on this topic of naming places um, and discovery, rivers and mountains and trails were known by Indigenous peoples. They'd been traveling over that landscape for thousands of years. There was trade way before white people arrived. And so it's important that we, we acknowledge that. And I have a couple of resources, places to look if you're interested in following up on this. And I'll put links again in the show notes. So chapter one called Follow the Corn in an Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz talks a lot about trade that happened in the United States by Indigenous peoples before white people arrived. Um, And there's also articles talking about what it means that explorers just quote-unquote discovered or rediscovered the Americas. So there's a, an article by David Wade James on Medium called Rediscovering the Americas, Exploring the Americas Before Columbus. And it's important to think, to keep in mind that white explorers, whether English or Dutch or Spanish or French, were not discovering a new empty land, but they were exploring a place that had peoples and customs and trails and knowledge. While I was um, a graduate student at the University of Kansas, um, one of the professors there was Dr. Margaret Pierce, who's enrolled citizen band of the Potawatomi, and she's a cartographer. She's a wonderful cartographer. And unfortunately, I never took a class with her, but I was fortunate enough to see a talk she presented on her collaboration with Penobscot Cultural and Historic Preservation, where she was working on with them on a map, expanding the map of their traditional place names called This Is How We Name Our Lands. And I'll put a link to um, her project on her uh, website, Studio One to One. So she's done work on many interesting topics like this. She's also looked at land-grant universities, but she also did a project called Coming Home to Indigenous Place Names in Canada, commissioned by the Canadian American Center at the University of Maine. And I'll put a, a link to that project as well in the show notes. And it's important, what these maps really do is they show place names of Indigenous peoples. So the names that we give to places, even when they have... Um, indigenous names or come from indigenous words, they're not necessarily the ways that indigenous peoples use them. So another place where you can find resources uh, about indigenous place names is from the Library of Congress. Um, They have a guide, Native American Spaces, Cartographic Resources at the Library of Congress, and I'll put a link to that guide in the show notes for here. And they have atlases, gazetteers of Native American place names, um, Native American trails and places as well. Items that are located in the Library of Congress, which unfortunately is not accessible right now during the time of COVID. But it, it gives some indication of different resources that are out there, which is important. All right. So changing topic a little bit. Um, 
I talked last time about indigenous peoples and that it's necessary to include indigenous territories in maps and when we talk about even travels by the Shacklefords. I want to update you a little bit about the process I'm trying to use to add indigenous territories to my maps. Uh, This is a work in progress. This is not perfect yet um, by any stretch of the imagination, but here's here's how the process looks so far. Now, nativelands.ca that I talked about last time has um, an API for accessing the current layers that they use in their online map, but they also have links so that you can down access their territories and languages data as JSONs. So you can click on the link and then you can copy the JSON into a text file. So I'll put a link to their API docs, which include those links in the show notes. So I, I clicked on the territories links, I'm mostly interested in territories, um, which opened up the JSON in a browser. I copied all that text, all of the JSON into a text file and saved it as a .json, J-S-O-N. And as a JSON, I'm able to open it up in QGIS as a layer by just adding a layer, uh, adding a vector layer. And in the data source manager, you have to make sure that your source type is a file and browse to the location where you save that JSON. So that's part one. That's getting the territories maps into QGIS so that they're data. And the territories are depicted as polygons. And so they have shapes in that way. Now, what I intend to do is take all of the points that are places where the Shacklefords passed through or stopped and extract from the territory's polygons which territories of indigenous peoples were in that point location. So I tried to work on that. So I just wanted to get the the three main locations um, for the places mentioned in the in the four entries I read at the top of the show, in the intro. So there are three places. So Provo, Springville, and Salem. So all towns. So it would be easy, hopefully. So as I hope you remember, I'm entering uh, Ruth Shackelford's diary entries into NodeGoat and tagging places there, um, which allows me to... Um, add verification so the geonames.org verification for the place and I can add the the coordinates for points the latitude and longitude and so this information is already in no goat for those three places but I wanted to extract that to download that information and then get those locations for Provo, Springville, and Salem into QGIS. This is more difficult than I thought. Um, NodeGoat has its own uh, visualization systems. You can make maps and visualizations in there, but because I prefer to make my own maps in QGIS for now and possibly using other open source methods later, I'm going to need to be able to extract, to download that data. So this is something I'm going to have to work on. Um, What I ended up doing for this was I just did it manually which is okay for three points, but there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of locations um, when I'm done 
uh, logging all of the the places where the Shacklefords passed through or stopped in this this diary. So I'm going to have to spend more time figuring out the export in NodeGoat. I'm going to have to look around a bit more. And I might just have to play with things th- through the documentation. So I was not able to easily download that data. Instead, I manually added um, the latitude, longitude, and name and an ID number to an Excel spreadsheet that I saved as a CSV. Now, normally I would use LibreOffice, but I recently updated my Mac operating system and hadn't updated LibreOffice yet. And so it wasn't working and I just needed to I just wanted to get through this. So I used Excel, saved it as CSV. Once you have this data with columns, and I do recommend naming the columns, so use the first field to name like ID, name, latitude, longitude, um, then you can add that CSV into QGIS by adding a delimited text layer. And so as you add it, double check that the geometry definition has latitude and longitude correctly. So your longitude should be your X coordinate because it's how far you are east and west. And the latitude is the Y coordinate or how far north and south things go. Um, And then add it as a layer. If the points don't appear where you expect, like mine didn't, check the coordinate reference system, the CRS. Um, so I had gone with the the project CRS, which is uh, 3857, which is a pseudo mercator uh, with, I think, WGS84 as the datum. And the points were not where I expected. Um, they didn't show up. So then I did the re-import again, but instead used um, CRS4326, which is also WGS84 datum, but a different coordinate system. And when I did that, the points showed up exactly where they were supposed to be. So here's a tip when using QGIS. Like double check the, Q- the, the CRS, the coordinate reference system, if ever points or polygons don't show up where you expect them to. All right, so I have had the points in the correct locations in QJS. I also had the shapefile with the polygons for indigenous territories. So the next part was extracting territory names based on point location. So for a point, which polygon or polygons that correspond with an indigenous territory were intersected with that point. So what I ended up doing was first I needed to change the the point CSV layer into a shapefile, which you can export it. And then I added a new field. Um, so I, I added a field called territory as a string so that there would be a place to to store the territory, the indigenous territory name with each point. And then I used data management tools, um, join attributes by location from vector, um, from the vector tool set. And with that, I was able to join a new layer. And so join attributes by location. So it creates a new join layer. And I joined the territories, the polygon layer to the point layer. And so I used a one-to-many join. And so for each uh, polygon that intersect each, each point in that layer, it created an entry. 
Now for those three points I had, they all intersected with only one polygon. Um, so then I was able, so I had a new join layer that had all of these individual individual points. And then I was able to use the dialogue in um, the layer properties for the point layer to join the join layer into the points uh, based on ID number. And then I was use, I used field calculator to update the existing field territory, which was empty. And so I, I that populated that field uh, using the the layer name two, which came originally from the polygon field. I saved the edits and then I deleted the join, made sure everything still worked, and then deleted the join layer once I knew that I didn't need it any longer. This process worked pretty well for these three points because each was intersected with only one polygon, but sometimes there are uh, points are going to be located on more than one polygon, so intersecting more than one indigenous territory. And so there, I need to find a way to be able to add more than one territory name into the list and hopefully a way to automate the process. I could do it like manually and that might be the way I end up doing it, but that's hundreds of points, possibly hundreds of which intersect with more than one indigenous territory. So this is a work in progress. Um, I got part of this uh, process from a YouTube video on extracting from based on a point location, and I'll put a link to that uh, to that YouTube tutorial in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed the Helenaki deep dive, please subscribe or leave a review and tell a friend about it. To support the Helenaki deep dive financially, you can become a supporter on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. And at the $5 per month level or higher, you'll get access to exclusive behind the scenes content every month. The Helenaki deep dive is written and produced by me, Jen Glavius of the Helenaki. The theme music is Deep Ocean Instrumental by Dan O of danosongs.com. Thanks for listening.